Happy New Year, guys. Hope you're doing well in 2015 and the year is treating you well so far. So glad you're joining us. Thanks for listening to Stories from the Influencer Economy. I'm Ryan Williams. I'm excited for episode number 33 with Nir Ale, the writer of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. I have an announcement to make. I created a, a podcast launching tip sheet for how to build content and market your podcast in 2015. Email me, ryan and I will share it with you. So please email. would love to give it out to anyone who's interested in starting a podcast. That's ryan at influencereconomy.com. Feel free to email me questions. Hit me up on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Thanks so much for listening. So grateful that you're joining us. You guys are the best listeners. And if you're listening on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button. We'd love to have you for the long haul. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Nir Ale. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So uh, excited to have you here. You have recently become a bestseller with your book, Hooked. Thank you. Yes. Congratulations. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, we're here for a lot of different reasons to have you on the show. But one is the story of your book, how you wrote it. You have an amazing background as an entrepreneur, but you went through the process of starting your own company, and then you wrote the book, as, and it was a blog originally. You then aggregated the content because there was a following around it, attracted a publisher, and then here you are, a bestseller author. Another great angle that I'd love to talk about is how the book itself is forming, it's about habit-forming products. But I think your book could be applied to a larger landscape, like podcasting and thinking how do you create books that are habit-forming and how all of us are battling for attention with anything we're creatively designing. How do we make YouTube videos and podcasts where people come back weekly to get the content? Right. Did you think the book would be this successful? No, I mean, I never set out to, to write this book until it was pretty much done. Um, and it's it's been a, a really nice surprise. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't my intention. I, I started blogging about stuff that I found fascinating and that I wanted to know I think that's maybe that's one of the myths of of authors is that I think a lot of people think well you know you become an author when you know what you're going to write about and then you write it and and maybe that's how some authors do it. that's certainly not the way I did it I, I thought about the questions that I most wanted to know about and what was fascinating to me was how do products change our behavior right what is it about these companies that started you know five to ten years ago uh, came out of nowhere, started by college kids, and somehow are having a profound impact on people's day-to-day lives. What is it about these companies, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and Pinterest and WhatsApp, even in the enterprise space, companies like Slack and Salesforce and GitHub, like where do they come from? How do they do it? And so that's really what drove me. It was to figure out how do these products create habits. And so I just started chiseling away at, at the psychology that uh, unfortunately, it was kind of pent up in the ivory tower of academia, and I read a lot of books, and I did a lot of interviews, and uh, you know, really wanted to scratch my own itch of answering my own questions around these products. And lo and behold, you know, I was, I was writing to answer my own questions, and then after about two and a half years, I had enough content that my readers uh, were asking, "Hey, where's the book? You know, I want to, I want to give this to somebody. I want people to know what 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 I've read on your blog. How do I do that?" Uh, so that's when I decided, "Hey, we really have to make this book." And so if you could articulate the book, like how do you explain it to your, to your parents or yeah. how, would my, how would you make this wide and accessible to my mom who <laughs> uses an iPhone and doesn't have Twitter but likes Instagram? Right. How, how, do, you, how do, you, uh, do, you, do you share the message of the book to people? So the, the, the core of the book is how does one go about making a product that people use 
on their own? How do you create unprompted engagement using a product without a prompt, without the need for expensive advertising and spammy marketing? How do you get people to form habits around your product so they come back on their own? How do companies do that? And what's a good example of a, a company that you read about, you researched, that you're like, okay, this product nailed it right. for getting us to get habits? Well, I think a, a great example of that is, is Facebook. Uh, I remember when I was uh, at Stanford in the MBA program there, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg came in. He was a guest speaker in one of our classes. This was in 2007. Uh, and he was, you know, Facebook was already a big deal. I think by that point he had turned down the billion-dollar offer from, from Yahoo, and everybody in the class thought he was a big idiot. I mean, this kid, this, this 20-something kid, uh, turned down a billion bucks from Yahoo. Well, he knew something, right? He knew that 50% of his users came back every day, right? Like these unbelievable engagement rates. The reason that company is so valuable is because for so many people, it's a habit. It's something that people do with little or no conscious thought multiple times a day. And even though it started out as, as what many people dismissed as, you know, a nice to have, a feature of somebody else's product, something that's just like a toy, uh, today, these things, this product is very important in people's lives. It's something that if Zuckerberg tomorrow said, hey, you know what, I've made enough money, I'm shutting down Facebook, a lot of people would have conniption fits, right? That would be a big problem for a lot of folks. Right, so it's so addictive, it's part of our lifestyle. And so when something like Facebook permeates us, like how often do we check these products? Like what's, is there an average stat that you found remarkable? Right, so some, some stats show that we check our smartphones about uh, 150 times a day is kind of the latest uh, stat that's circulating. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's the frequency too. It's, it's, it's how frequently in a week do we check these products. And so if you look at a product like WhatsApp, which was you know, acquired not that long ago by Facebook for First. $22 billion. Uh, We're in the wrong business. <laughs> well, a big reason that that company was worth so much, it's not the underlying technology. The underlying technology is actually you know, not that special. A lot of people could make that technology. The, the fact that they had that big of a user base and that that big of a user base was using that product so frequently. So 74% of the people who have that app use it every single day. I mean, that is a, that's a tremendous stat. So what's, a, what's another product that you think that is exemplary? Because it's a four-step process, correct? Mm-hmm. Of, right. Of, and so your, your goal is to help people build the app since you've gone and done some really good research and thorough. Mm-hmm. So what's a, can you walk us through the four-step process? And, sure. And just tell us like as someone, because I'm looking at this as a creator, mm-hmm. you, can, you can really apply the mentality to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And your, your impetus was to write around building technology products. Right. So how can this uh, four-step process be just applied to you think, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, any creative endeavor, you could potentially think about this. Well, you can certainly take a lot of the lessons from consumer psychology and the things that I talk about in the book uh, piecemeal. So even if you're not creating the kind of product that requires a habit, and I should say, look, not every business needs a habit to bring customers back. There are lots of ways to bring customers back to your product without a habit. You can use search engine optimization. You can use advertising. You can, heck, you can have a physical storefront to bring people back. That's fine. But if you're building the kind of product that requires a habit, just like the companies we talked about earlier, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, these companies have to have a habit. Without a habit, their business model would crumble. They require habits. So if your business model requires the habit, you have to have a hook. You have to have this four-step process. If your business doesn't require a habit, that's fine, right? If you can support your business without a habit, that's fine. But you can still look at the four steps of the hook 
and learn from them. You can take these lessons from, psycho- from consumer psychology piecemeal. And so what's the vitamin theory? So vitamins and painkillers? Yeah, I love that. Right, so there's this common knowledge and what, kind of what every MBA learns is that um, you don't want to build a vitamin. You want to make the kind of product that's a painkiller. A painkiller is a kind of product that people need, right? That they can tell you, they can articulate, stop my pain. This is the kind of product I need in my life. And that's great. There's great businesses that can be started over painkiller type products. But vitamins, even though they're frequently dismissed, vitamin pr- products are the ones that you know your, your MBA professors and your investors will tell you, nah, that's not a good idea because it's not something that people really need, right? A vitamin is a nice to have. It's not a must have. And investors will ding you and pass on that investment because it, they deem it as you know not really so necessary. it's not necessarily a complimentary thing. Right. It's, it's something that is a nice to have. It's not a must have. But here's the irony of that, is that if you think about the products that we just talked about, Snapchat and Instagram and Pinterest and WhatsApp and, and, you know, many of these products, they all started out as vitamins. They started out as these nice-to-haves. And what made them over time into painkillers, what made them these parts of people's lives that now, if they suddenly disappeared, would be a problem, is that they managed to evolve from vitamins to painkillers by building user habits. Because part of the definition of a habit is it's a behavior done with little or no conscious thought, and that not doing that behavior causes us a bit of pain. And so, uh, can you just I, your your book is about the four step process, mm-hmm. and it's how many pages? Uh, about two hundred fifty pages. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, distilling that down now um, <laughs> to thirty seconds. To thirty seconds, but sure. What's uh, or even just a minute or two? Just tell yeah. us the process so someone can apply it to their own work. Sure. So the four step process of a hook is these, uh, it starts off with a trigger. A trigger is is something that cues the user to action, that tells the user what to do next. And we have internal triggers and we have external triggers. The end goal of a habit-forming product is to form this association with an internal trigger. An internal trigger is is a, a situation, a routine, a place, even a person, and most frequently an emotion that tells the user what to do next. So when you're lonely, check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, YouTube, check stock prices, sports scores, news, right? Lots of solutions for this internal trigger of boredom. So the holy grail is to form this association, to form this link with these internal triggers in our life. To do that, we run users through this four-step process of after the internal trigger, after the internal trigger is felt, the user takes the action, which is something that is a behavior that's done uh, with little or no conscious thought in anticipation of a reward. So scrolling on Pinterest or pushing the play button on YouTube, uh, these very, very, very simple actions done in anticipation of a reward. Then comes the reward itself. Uh, Many times this is a variable reward. It's something that has a bit of uncertainty, a bit of mystery involved. Uh, It comes from the work of, the classic work of B.F. Skinner around variable reinforcement. And then- I love how you distilled all these scientific theories. There's nothing worse than reading a book that is written by academics mm. and scientists that are completely out of touch mm-hmm. with like how to articulate something to a normal person. Right, so I, my, the, the book, uh, you know, I, I'm not a PhD, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, I've started two companies and I really wanted to write the kind of book that I wanted to read and I didn't want a lot of storytelling, I didn't want a lot of scientific, uh, you know, I didn't want to know how the research was done, I wanted to know how, uh, what, what the results were of the research and how do I apply it to my business, right? How do I build a better product? So it's practical, it's a guidebook. That's, that's really my goal, was, was I wanted to write the kind of book that somebody, an, a busy entrepreneur could skip to the end of each chapter and be told, here's what you should do to build your habit-forming product, and then if they want to learn more, if they want to go in further depth, hey, they can 
you know, dive into those chapters as well. The, the last step of the hook that we didn't get to was, is the investment phase. And this is a frequently overlooked part of the hook, that people building habit-forming products uh, neglect to ask the user to invest in the product. They, uh, the investment phase is where the user puts something into the product in anticipation of a future benefit. So is that like so, posting a photo and getting a like? Right, exactly. Data, giving the company data, accruing followers, um, reputation, uh, uh, giving the company, storing content with so the company. So Twitter followers is that right. metric. Exactly. All, all, anything that the user does in anticipation of a future reward that most importantly stores value. And this is a huge benefit of habit-forming products is that they get better the more we use them. So they're smarter and they're more tailored to us. Yeah, yeah, they literally get better with time. And that makes them sticky. Right, exactly. So the more value, the more followers you have, the more data you give a company, the more content you store, it's harder to leave that product. What's interesting is podcasts don't have an external metric. Mm -hmm. So there's no way to play a game to get, like no one sees my viewers or or my streams. And so YouTube, it, psychologically, if I see a million viewed video, it could be Charlie bit my finger. Right. But I'm going to be more likely to click on that because it's that social proof. Right. Well, what, what's happened now, I think, the reason that podcast is having such a renaissance right now is because the tools to listen have become much easier. Mm-hmm. And then there's these enabling technologies that are making the hook possible. If you think about it, look at a product like Stitcher. Right. The, Who just the, got acquired. They did? Yeah, yeah by, uh, by a European company. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah. It was a good exit? I, I, the details were not led. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How long ago was this? It's like uh, six weeks ago. Oh, I, I must have missed that. But I think that's and a great example. Swell got acquired. Swell got acquired. By, by I, Apple. Apple, right, right. So I think, you know, if you look at a product like like uh, Stitcher, which personally I know a lot about because I, I happen to use it, and it's completely changed my habit of, of how I consume uh, audio content, in that, you know, it used to be, it was, it was kind of a pain, right? Like to... To, to, to use iTunes, to download the episode, it wasn't, it wasn't very easy. Whereas with Stitcher, it's one button, right? The, 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 the internal trigger is, is this routine of waking up in the morning, wanting to listen to the news, or maybe it's your commute. With one button, you push it. That's the action phase. The variable reward is the content itself, right? Podcasting is interesting because you're not quite certain what I'm going to say next, right? What You're waiting to anticipate the answer to, to uh, a question. And then the investment with Stitcher was creating your little playlist, Right, so that it plays this, you know, you save. Here's the podcast I listen to, and with one button, it plays just these podcasts. Well, that's the investment phase. That's the bit of work, customizing your playlist. And so it just takes a few minutes to get right. someone invested. But now, somebody else comes along. Well, you've already committed. You've already invested in this other product. Right, and so therefore, I'm more likely to go back and use it. Exactly. So the investment's more of a subtle thing. Yeah. It's like we don't even realize we're doing any oh, yeah. investing, but it's, it's liking on Facebook, it's adding content on Pinterest, it's commenting, it's anything that, that makes the product better the more you do it. And so for marketers, are you trying to to position this as a way for people to build the products to not rely on social networks? Because we we're talking before that people think if you get a celebrity to tweet your product, it's actually not that efficient. Hmm. But you have to have the product be existing in a way that people can live in that product and not hmm. have to share it out to get value? Well, growth, you know, growth is only part of the equation. So when I, I, I do uh, uh, some angel investing and, and when I look at a company uh, and, and figure out, hey, you know, is this an exciting product? Does this have potential? I look for these three things of growth, engagement, and monetization. I call it the gem model. I don't know. I, I probably heard it from somebody else, but that's what I look for. Growth, engagement, monetization. Hooked is all about engagement. It's one piece of the puzzle. Each is necessary, but not sufficient. So when I look for a startup, I look for two of the three and a plan for the third. And growth, 
you know, getting celebrity endorsements or getting the TechCrunch bounce or anything like that, that's terrific, but that's growth. You know, we've seen a lot of companies back when, when I was in uh, my, la- my last company, you know, virality was everything. Everything had to go viral, and Facebook was the primary platform to do that. Well, we saw that a lot of those companies got big. They got millions of users overnight, but then they were leaky buckets. They couldn't keep people around because they didn't have an engagement mechanism to keep those people coming back. Oh, so that's growth great. without engagement is meaningless. That's great. So people are so focused on growth right now. Right. If it's but growth on its own is not good enough. Now so, those together is a dynamic duo, but you need both. So your product, your book is uh, helping people with products to get the engagement level. Right. Right. And that, what was your motivation? Was it to to, to conquer that? As exactly because you said before that it, we had talked that your your last company you just saw some problems mm-hmm. with product, and that's what the like. What was the main impetus for the book? Well, the, the from my last company, we were at the intersection of gaming and advertising, and I saw a ton of experiments. Right, I saw we worked with cl- our client base were advertisers, it was game developers, and we would see these companies kind of come and go. And I wanted to look for the patterns. I wanted to try and figure out what it was about these companies that made some successful and some disasters. And so that's really was the impetus for this book. Is after that company was acquired, my last company was acquired. I wanted to sit down and really figure out what's this deeper psychology behind what makes these products, some of them habits and some of them flops. So, and going through that process now, you're a storyteller. Hmm. Like, would you ever imagine that your career would have taken this direction? No, I never set out to be an author. <laughs> and you're, you're fascinated by learning and you teach. Yeah. So you have these characteristics that are, you know, in your, it's the investment you know, you love to, to participate and have conversations. Yeah. So when did you realize you wanted to be a storyteller? Like what, with the blog and, you know, you, we talked about reaching this high. Yeah. Where you, as a, you become an artist or a thinker and right. it's like this level that you have to like commit fully. Well, there is, there is a, there is a, you have to get your your family on your friends on board. And yeah. Well, I took some time off. It takes uh, a village. Yeah. I, I took some time off to figure out what I really wanted to do next. Um, and uh, I just started writing for myself, right? Like I didn't care if anybody read it. I just started putting stuff up up there. And then I got emails from different publications saying, "Hey, can we syndicate your stuff?" And you know, I I didn't I didn't seek those people, but you know, they, they kind of found me, which was great. Uh, and then it, it you know it, it's kind of habit forming. <laughs> Blogging is pretty habit forming because the variable reward of putting up content is the feedback you get. Comments. Right, yeah. It's kind of, you know, it, 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 it brings you in, you right? Like how many comments on it and shares and uh, tweets. And there's a lot of feedback that comes in. You know, sometimes people say your stuff is crap. Sometimes people love it and they, they tell you what an impact So do you had. adjust your content based on your audience? Uh, I don't write for an audience but, per se, but I will, I mean, I've revised much of my content because someone will say, Hey, Nir, you know, you didn't get this point right because think about this example. That's great. Uh, in fact, one of the things I did with the book that I think is a kind of a hidden secret, uh, is that, uh, I let everybody who was a blog subscriber at the time get access to the entire book for free. I put it on Google docs, the entire book which many in the publishing industry would say is nuts, right? I just gave out my book for free yeah. before it was even available, right? Dumb. But here's what it did. For those people who signed up and said, yes, I will help you with your book, they got to read the book, but the, 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 the catch was that I wanted to hear what they thought. So they could literally go into my book it's and like, help me edit it's like it. Alpha testing. It was crowd edited. And I had paid a professional editor before I put it out there. But by getting... The, uh, my, my readers to tell me what they thought of the book when it was still, you know, un, un, it wasn't launched yet, 
the book became 100% better. So they crowd, you crowdsourced editing? I crowd-edited, right? And, it was, and then they invested. Mm-hmm. So they, then once, that's exactly right. Once the book came out, they, and get, were, they were part of it. That's exactly right. So 900 people's names, you know, I took up the, the last uh, three or four pages oh, of the book. Even, Everybody who helped me edit the book is listed Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and so they're even incentivized, hey, this book I edited, you know, that's a story they have for a job interview. That's just something unique. It's passionate. Right. They're into it, and they're not doing it for money. Right. Or at least they're keeping tabs on, hey, wanna, this, I helped with and this And they want to help you. Right. And so, and so you developed this great community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in essence, you... So you're practicing what you preach. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I... How did you I, apply your model to the book? So that the investment phase, you know, a book is not a habit-forming product. A book, you know, you consume, you learn from, then you put it on the shelf and you're done. You read the next book. It's A book by itself is not a habit-forming product. But I use the lessons from consumer psychology and from this book in different phases, right? So, for example, that investment phase yeah. of doing this crazy act of letting people read my book before it's actually available and letting them have it for free... Um, I did that because I wanted people to invest in the book and, and, and to, to, to put something into it. And so I love the story about how you actually got approached by a publisher mm. and they read your blog. Mm-hmm. And then the blog content became book content, which is another counterintuitive approach to a publisher. Be like, never put anything online because mm. you, you give away your ideas. Someone, right. else, someone else can write your book. And it's a backwards model where you're like spending a year and a half writing a book to put in a bookstore. Yeah. Where you actually had the content over time. You didn't. You said before you didn't even research the book case studies for the book. Hmm. You were curious. I was just curious. And you wanted to do. You were guided by that in writing blog content. Right. I mean, the the book backwards is exactly the right word because if you think about the publishing industry, you know, a few years ago, a, a, a decade ago or less, it was an author would make a book proposal. They would sell the book proposal, then the book would come out in print, then in paperback, then you know maybe eventually uh, some e-format when that when that was made available at some point in time. Well, I did that exactly backwards. Yeah. Right. Like I first first it was the blog, then it was the ebook, then I self-published, then I got picked up by a professional publisher, and now it's in bookstores and now it's a bestseller. Um, but that model for me worked really well because. I could constantly revise and tweak, uh, and it never felt like a job. It never felt like a career. It was just following my own curiosity. I mean, for an author, curiosity is rocket fuel, right? Like that. I don't know how to how to work on a project that I'm not genuinely curious about. If I'm not curious about the topic, there's going to be no way my readers no are going to be interested. No one's going to be into it. <laughs> right. Right. And so that's why you write because mm-hmm. you are passionate. You're into it. That's right. And so you put the book on Amazon mm-hmm. and you self published it. Is it? More or less the same book that you self-published that became the final. It's it's almost exactly the same. Uh, there's you know there's some few tweaks that we found. Um, you know I, I I call them versions, right? So it's version one point two, one point whatever. So you know, so, so it's I, almost like the editing phase from the crowd was the most important step. That was probably the most important step. Yeah, and like I said, I had it professionally edited before. I mean, like I paid somebody a bunch of money to help me edit the book, and we still found mistakes and we still found improvements and and it, and it got. 100% better by having the crowd help me with that. And what was it like when you saw it in a bookstore? How did you feel? Oh, that's feel? awesome. Actually, the, to, just today, I saw it for the first time in an airport bookstore, which was to me like, you know, I, I, I said to myself a year ago, oh man, if I ever got into an airport bookstore, that's that, would, it. that would be awesome. That's it. <laughs> and I just took a picture of it today, actually, and it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. It's, it's really, really cool. And the process you took really was doing it yourself. And you didn't really have the end game of a publisher. You would obviously love to have gotten it in an airport, but you just created. You were into it. You were passionate. Right. I, I mean, you're creating weekly, regular content. Yes. I mean, I can't. I. 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 I'd be remiss to to 
take all the credit here. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, the book was a collaboration between, uh, first of all, my, my co-author, Ryan Hoover, who is now you product know, hunt. famous for Product Hunt, right? This podcast was featured on it <laughs> Right, exactly. And, and, and it's uh, it's great. I, I, I'm an investor in Product Hunt. That's I great. love the product. It's amazing to see all, all, all he's done with that. Um, and uh, so that was, a, a, he played a huge role in the book. Uh, the 900 blog readers who helped as contributors, uh, my book agent, the publisher. I mean, this has been a collaborative effort. Uh, but the content itself, as far as the you know the words in the book, that was that was driven by questions I was really curious about. And so, um, one final question mm-hmm. is, like, what was a surprise from the book? Like a question that you didn't even expect you wanted the answer to, that you felt like I've tapped into something that you you didn't set out to, to see. Mm-hmm. Like, was there a, a, a model of like the four step process? Mm. Like, is it, w- w- actually within those four steps, like. What was the one that you found that you were like really passionate about? Was it the investment? Was it the, mm. the hook itself? Well, I, th- I think the investment is the part that people don't necessarily consider, uh, but I think the variable reward is really fascinating. That it's not actually new. I mean, we've known about intermittent reinforcement since the time of B.F. Skinner, right, in the 1950s. It's, it's, it's old in the academic again, literature. Again, you are translating a foreign language, right? right? People haven't heard of B.F. Skinner. They don't know his research. Right. It's profound. Right. Obviously, you were inspired by it. Right. So you're like giving this accessibility. Right, so what B.F. Skinner observed in his lab pigeons, yeah. where he would give them a little uh, lever, or a little disc to peck at, and what he found was that when these pigeons would peck at this lever at first, uh, the reward was given on a regular basis, so basically a pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a food pellet, he could train these pigeons to peck at this disc whenever they were hungry. But then what Skinner did was introduce intermittent reinforcement. So sometimes the pigeons would peck at this disc, nothing would come out, right? No reward. The next time the pigeon would peck at the disc, they would receive a food pellet. And so what Skinner observed was when he gave a reward on an intermittent schedule of reinforcement, the action was observed more frequently. The pigeons pecked more often when there was a bit of mystery, a bit of uncertainty. And so Skinner observed that this was exactly what happens with slot machines. This is exactly what makes gambling habit-forming, if not addictive. And you know what? exactly the same psychology in our news feeds in so many technology products today searching and searching and scrolling and scrolling to find the next hit is exactly what keeps us coming back and what are your habit products on your mobile phone like the top apps that you use uh, so I, I struggle with these technologies even though I know exactly what makes them habit for me I wrote the book about it but I I still struggle with these things because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where does technology belong where does it not belong how do I make sure that technology is serving me that I'm not a slave to it uh, and so uh, yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm I find Twitter very habit for me I find my email very habit for me I mean, these products are great I think they've enhanced my life but I think we need a degree of caution about uh, about how we use them cool well thank you for coming on and uh, we'll link to the book in the description. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care. That was Nier. He's awesome. Make sure you check out his book, Hooked. It's a great resource. I think it's much broader, and the habit-forming product mentality can be applied to podcasting, creating YouTube content, and being any maker, creator, and builder out there, not just a technology entrepreneur. So love to have you uh, for the long haul, like I said in the intro. So please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes. And happy to give out this marketing and podcast guide to anyone who wants to start a podcast. So please email me, ryaninfluencereconomy.com. I'm at Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Heading to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. Thanks so much for joining me.